Welcome to yet another exciting season of Sisters in Conversation, the podcast. I'm your host, Tebelo Motani. I'm an attorney by profession and the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On this podcast, I profile women of color in the legal profession in an attempt to celebrate their contribution to the profession. We journey through their individual stories of perseverance and resilience and overcoming challenges like imposter syndrome, racism, and sexism, to name a few. I hope you're geared up for what promises to be another insightful, informative, and empowering season. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. For those of you who do not already know, the I Am Lady Justice workshops will be making a comeback on the 25th of March, which is a Saturday. The workshop will take place at Quartermain Hotel in Santin Morningside. The purpose of this workshop is to have an in-person session which aims to educate and empower women on various legal topics which affect their lives such as marriage, divorce, child maintenance, wills and deceased estates. It's important that we never underestimate the value of a woman understanding her rights and how the law applies to her. I encourage you to gather the women in your life and attend what promises to be an insightful and informative workshop. I have hand-selected expert speakers who are well-versed on the topics I have mentioned. You are likely not to get a consultation with any attorney for this price and for this duration. There are limited seats available going for $750 per ticket. Ticket includes welcome tea and coffee, light lunch, a workbook, a goodie bag, and bubbly sponsored by Bernini and Pongress. Secure your seat now on www.sisterinlaw.co.za and I'll be attaching the link in the description box as well. Hope to see you there. Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Conversation. I'm your host, Debello Mutwani. I'm an attorney by profession and the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On today's episode, I have with me Alma Sazini Gumbo. Alma is a vibrant legal professional with experience in fiduciary services and holds a Bachelor of Laws and PG Diploma in Tax Law from the University of the Witwatersrand. In 2016, Alma kickstarted her career at a leading financial services institution where she gained exposure in mostly deceased estates and wills drafting. She has not looked back since then. And as a fiduciary consultant, Alma continues to sharpen her skills while ensuring to make time to educate and empower others through platforms such as radio, social media, community initiatives, and authored work. Outside of the office, Alma is a youth mentor a published author and an entrepreneur. Alma, welcome to the show. Good morning and thank you for having me. Thank what you. a lovely interview. You read it so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I only read the information that is given to me. So this is all you. So well done to you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> it sounds different when someone's saying it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Usually when someone reads your bio, you're like, who are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for your time, Alma, and thank you for agreeing to, to, to share your story with us today. 
Thank you, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. Sister in conversation, sisters in conversation, great platforms for women. You know, uh, I've listened to a couple of podcasts. I've been fangirling over a lot of guests that you've had on this podcast. I love them. I'm inspired, you know, and I've learned a lot. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That is exactly um, the, the kind of impact that I want the show to have for it to really more than anything inspire the listener. So thank you very much for that affirmation. I'm glad. Well, Alma, as we usually do, as I usually do on the show, the first thing that we're going to speak about is definitely you. Um, and can you just take us back to the very beginning of your journey? Who who is Alma? Where were you born? Um, who was Alma raised by? You know, parents, grandparents, extended family, whatever the case is. How many siblings do you have? And where did you attend primary school and high school? Okay, uh, my name is Inigumbo. I am the sixth of 15 children. I was raised in a polygamous family and I was born at Helen Joseph Hospital. I was raised uh, briefly in Mayfair and then my parents moved to Deepsluit uh, just as the township was starting out. And that's where I spent most of my formative years and most of my teen years, actually. I went to primary school at Muzomusha um, Primary School in Deepsluit. Mm -hmm. And um, for high school, I went to Basa Tutorial Institute. Uh, it's a school in Johannesburg. And once I was done with my matric, I went to the University of the Redwaterland. I was raised by both of my parents. My parents uh, were great entrepreneurs. You know, I think it was only once in my life that mm. one of my parents was employed. But for other than that, my parents were always entrepreneur, entrepreneurial. Um, they had a couple of businesses uh, across Deep Sloot, and you know, my father had his stint as a taxi driver at some point. Hmm. And we were always just working it out. And I think that's where I get some of my traits. Um, and what stands out for me is throughout that time, my parents were always helping out in the community in some way or form. Hmm. So I think that's where my love for giving back and helping others comes from. Hmm. Sure, sure. And, um, you know, how was your, your primary and your high school experience? Did you have a fairly good time or, you know, were you um, maybe bullied or were you a bully? Can you tell us a little bit more about, about your, your experience at school? Because that's, oh. you know, where, where, where you start getting shaped as a person, where you start um, oh. discovering your interests and saying, hmm, maybe I want to pursue this later on in life or whatever the facts or whatever the case is. That is so true. Um, for me, I've always been a, a very shy child. In, and even as an adult, uh, naturally I'm shy. But, you know, I've, I've learned to manage that and learned to work on my confidence and all of that. So sometimes when I tell people that generally I'm a shy person, they don't believe me. I don't um, believe but... you. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. So uh, as a youngster, I've always been very curious. Um, and I'm so thankful that my parents nurtured my curiosity. You know, uh, I always want to ask questions. I always want to know. And even if I do something wrong, you know, just before the beating, I want us to sit and negotiate <laughs> so that I can take it like a champ. <laughs> um, and I started out fairly young from round about grade three, I started doing public speaking. I did uh, some competitions for my school, you know, and my teachers recognized in me that I do have a, a passion for speaking and there's something there. So I'm also thankful to them for nurturing that. Uh, I went on a couple of competitions representing my primary school. And that was my first time, you know, getting to experience life outside of the township and yeah. just seeing what else is out there in the world. And I think that piqued my interest and made, and made me want to know what else is out there. So if I keep on being curious and I keep on wanting to learn things, what other opportunities can really come my way? You know, mm -hmm. I remember the first time I did a public speaking competition. Uh, it was we were doing it was for natural sciences and my speech was about the stomach, you know, mm -hmm. and I was so confident and so proud of describing a stomach and what it does and all of its functions, you know, and although I didn't win, but I think that keeps something in me. Mm. I also tried out, you know, choir. I tried sports, but that never really worked out. So shy as I was, I was always an outgoing person. Mm. Um, in high school, I was a prefect. I was a class monitor, you know. And even if my friends were making noise in the classroom, best believe I would write them on the naughty list. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't give them favors just because they're friends. And even in high school, I continued with... Um, public speaking, still trying out choir, a bit of debate here and there. And um, subsequent to that in university, that's when now I wanted to explore even more because I realized that oh, actually I I have a love for people. Mm. So, you know, how, how, how much more can I do with the skills that I already have and the skills that I'm, I'm looking to now refine and attain? So what I did was uh, I started joining initiatives on campus. You know, I joined uh, the first year experience. Uh, first, I started off as a recipient of what the awesome organization was doing at BITS. Mm -hmm. Then after that, I joined them as an ambassador. So we were, you know, going out and doing all of these activations and all of that. It was fun. You know, we did training. Then after that, I joined them as a first year mentor. Then I joined um, the CCDU division as well as a mentor. And I continued mentoring people uh, until I finished varsity and graduated. And even subsequent to that, my friend started an NGO. It's called the Civil Youth Institute. I was round about in my fourth year at that time. Mm. And she asked me to become to be a secretary of the NGO and I said ah oh, absolutely absolutely so we started out on that journey together and we've done we've done some good work you know within our scope of reach we've worked with the department of uh, basic education we've done some initiatives around Soweto and even then you know I met some young women some young people who came and asked me to mentor them so mm -hmm. I've carried that through I still do that even now you know and I always tell them the idea is to build a community you know a sisterhood or a siblinghood where as you progress in life you always have that safe space to come back to and say oh I did something amazing oh no I need help and all of that so mentorship is one of the 
things I'm very passionate about. Um, I'm also big on, you know, community building. And I think also that came from my parents, you know, mm. with the little that they had uh, in deep sluts, a lot of poverty, unemployment and crime, but there was always room, you know, whether it's a neighbor or it's a patron of ours who has experienced something difficult. You know, if you need a place to sleep, sure, here's a matrix crash in the garage. So I continue with all of that. Um, Another thing that I've always loved and that my teachers always nurtured is writing. You know, sometimes, you know, when uh, you write an essay and then your teacher will make the effort to say, oh, wow, your introduction was beautifully written. And I and I noticed that, okay, every now and again, I get these type of compliments. So I started out writing short stories, you know, and at the time I remember when I was growing up, there was no library in Deep Slot. So if you wanted to go to a library, you had to catch a taxi and go all the way to Randburg. You know, oh, and you. I remember when I first told my parents about it, they didn't hesitate. They said, no, it's fine. One Saturday uh, of every month, we will wake up in the morning. One of us will accompany you to the library. We'll get there at eight. When they close at one, I'll come back and collect you and we'll go back home. Oh, and, you know, so it became a ritual. Every one Saturday in a month, my parents would take me to the library and I would just enjoy, yeah. you know, the melting pot of all the children coming from everywhere, really, you know, uh, coming to read books and there were competitions at the library. You can draw, you can write a poem. And, and I was like, ah, let me try these things out. So I tried them out and I won, you know, and I still have some of the books that I won. It was so affirming for me. I love, and, love, love, love it. And I thought to myself, ah, Alma, okay, definitely there must be something here, you know. And uh, initially when I started out, uh, myself and my mom, we love the radio, you know. So I thought to myself, well, I like writing. I enjoy talking to people. So I think I want to be a radio DJ. So the first time they bought me uh, my own PC and they built me a bedroom outside of our house, you know, and mm -hmm. I'd wake up at night because our, my family had a tavern and the tavern was in the front part of the house. Mm -hmm. Then in the middle was our, our humble abode. Mm -hmm. Then at the back was my bedroom. Mm -hmm. So it was quiet or so early in the morning before we started our daily operations, you know, I'd wake up and then I'd go to open the recording app on the computer and I'd go, uh, good morning, welcome to the Amagumba show. And, and I'd make my own demos, <laughs> you know, and, and then one day I watched So Cool when partners on the CBC one and, yeah. you know, I saw the actors doing their thing there and I was like, I'm mad. <laughs> I'm no that's the thing that's the thing that I want <laughs> you know so from there I think that's where the seed was sown mm -hmm. and fast forward to matric um it's time now to apply for university you know so I apply for law and I thought to myself no but you know I can also try out in the sciences I applied for all of these other things and as fate would have it indeed I ended up studying law the mm. first time I sat in a, in a lecture room, I looked around me and I could see this melting pot of people from different backgrounds and we were all there because of one thing. You know, a seed had been sown and we had all realized that somewhere, somehow, we all want to take this path. And, mm. you know, that's where now the refining started happening. You know, the, 
now I had to learn not to be shy. I had to speak with my chest and not swallow my words. You know, I had to now learn how to think critically and solve problems. I had to now learn all of these Latin terms and all these interesting things, you know, and get used to doing group work with people from all walks of life, you know, and now that's where I started becoming less and less shy. Mm. And you know, everything just, it sort of came together so beautifully. Ultimately, even as a legal professional, I found that I get to live my broadcasting dreams by doing, you know, some work on radio here and there. And so ultimately, everything comes together. That is so true. That is honestly so true. So I actually um, have a few questions from, from the very colorful upbringing that you've painted for us. Um, sure, but one thing I want to say is I really hope that there is um, a library in Deep Sluit now, you know, uh, somewhere, yes, or somewhere closer <laughs> than Randberg, because at the end of the day, for you know, at in, in inclusion is part like is part of even the 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 things that people overlook, like you know, a library, access to schools, schools with um good facilities and, and and resources that is where inclusion starts and that is where transformation in itself starts so by the time we get to work and we start complaining about things that like transformation it's because at the very beginning at the grassroots level already that foundation was not solid because there was something you know there was something there was no library so that, that that's exactly where where we have to start when we speak about transformation. We need to go back to our own upbringings and say, what, something was not right when I was growing up. How is it now? Has that been fixed? As we then start thinking about all those things that we battled to have when we were growing up, we can then start contributing towards the bigger conversation of transformation. Absolutely, absolutely. I am proud to say that over the years there has been wonderful development in Deep Slot. Uh, mm -hmm. Crime is still rife, yes. Poverty mm -hmm. is still a problem, yes. Mm -hmm. But you know, the efforts of um, social, you know, just the social system, the community itself, and also the government can be seen and felt mm -hmm. from what it was in the beginning. Because, you know, when we arrived in Deep Slot, um, we were living in shacks. I remember my first, my first home. Mm. It was such. It was a small Lanyana one room shack, and every time it was bath time, you know, whoever's not taking a bath would have to go and sit outside. So if mm. it was rainy, or if it was winter, you know, mm. and there were no toilets. We would have maybe a few water tankers for a community of a hundred people, an extension of fifty or more shacks, and mm. the truck would come twice a week to refill the water but now we have taps everywhere you know and we used to have a lot of incidences of uh, children drowning because we used to we had to walk quite a distance to get to school and we'd have to cross a river you know mm. so we lost some of my classmates in primary school um, now we've got bridges you know, uh, we've got a lot of RTP houses, we've got taps, we've got electricity, we have a library, a fire, you know, police station. So it's wonderful to see, yeah. you know, there yeah. is progress. Yes. Sure. I absolutely love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And then, um, sure, how is it being raised in a big family? I think that is so interesting <laughs> as well. 
um <laughs> whenever whenever we have the opportunity to discuss big families to discuss polygamous families we should because that's exactly what this platform is about you know um sharing our colorful stories inspiring other people um letting people know that you know regardless of how you grew up where you grew up you you can have a dream you can nurture it and you can see your dreams come to fruition so um tell us a little bit about that how was it just growing up in a big family um you you sound like you had a lot of attention you even had your parents committing to taking you to the library once a month so <laughs> tell us a little bit about that um one thing about growing up in a big family it fosters a sense of community mm. because you know there have been so many instances where mm. maybe an older sibling outgrows maybe a pair of pants or a dress or shoes you know and you pass it on to the next mm. you know and you you learn apart from the sense of community you learn to understand that no man is an island you mm. know and i think when when we were younger uh, my father always tried to instill in us a sense of oneness you know because i find that uh in in polygamous family units you know sometimes there can be a sense of them and us in the sense that you know you look at your 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 half siblings or your step or your Yes, your half siblings who come from maybe your stepmom and all of that as a as a them, you know, and you tend to internalize sometimes you know, the parental conflicts. Mm. But my father always insisted, and my mom, in fact, you know, always insist that uh, your what happens in the hierarchy above of you should not be internalized by you mm. because you know parents met and they decided to get married and you know decided to get into a polygamous family unit you are not there you mm. are mm. a byproduct of that mm. union therefore mm. it is your responsibility to love and respect your siblings because mm. here you know they're not just your siblings these are these are your friends that mm. we, we you have been with. this is a an eternal point of view you know very few people in the world would know you as well as these people here will know you and when your parents are no longer here it is these people that will hold your hand that will become the people you go to you know when you have something to celebrate or when life is showing you flames you know and as a youngster sometimes you're like oh but you know he did mm -hmm. one two three one two three no you know but as you grow up you start naturally gravitating towards each other and, mm -hmm. and wanting and needing to be in each other's lives. So I thank my parents for that. Um, another thing that growing up in a polygamous family has taught me is, oh, wow. You have to be yourself because no two people are the same, you know, and you shouldn't expect yourself to be like anyone else. You know, when I sit and I look at myself and my siblings, there are certain things that are similar about all of us, you know, not only in terms of appearance, but in terms of the personality traits that we have. But in the same breath, we are so different. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we are so, so, so different. And in that difference, we are all embraced. We are all loved, you know, and our parents pay so much attention to all of these nuances about us, you know, and they know how to deal with each and every one of us. And they know how to identify, you know, certain motions and emotions in us based on all of, all of these differences. So it has taught me also to be mindful of the people around me, you know, their personalities, their values, you know, what triggers them, how to show them appreciation, you know, what are their love languages and all of that, how do they appreciate being recognized. So I found that growing up in in a big family like that, I spent a lot of time observing, Mm. you know. Um, So I've become an observant adult, you know, and even when I speak to people, I I pay attention and I want to indulge them fully. I don't don't want to just mise them and listen with the intention to respond. I want to be able to nurture the conversation and genuinely get something wonderful out of them. Mm. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I absolutely love that. Um, I think for me personally, one of the things that that stood out to what you said is the the sense of community unfortunately from you know where i stand you know i i i i can only know this through the legal side of things right so from when where mm-hmm. i stand it's usually always okay why is there so much fighting you know it's, it's mm. i i don't get to often hear that no there's actually you know a sense of community and we are close and whatever because I always just come in from mm-hmm. an attorney's perspective and already sexually people are fighting, you know. But in all fairness, um, people people fight in, in non-polygous families, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's, there's basically no formula to what I'm saying. But I'm saying thank you for raising that huge aspect of it being, you know, um, a unified front and a, and a sense of community. I absolutely that actually even gave me goosebumps. I I love hearing that. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. However, you know, the point of fighting is also such a valid point um, because I've also witnessed, you know, even outside within and outside my family uh, in other polygamous families. Um, fighting does happen and especially when the patriarch dies Mm -hmm. that's when the action really comes you know Mm -hmm. and suddenly the division of assets is a problem Mm -hmm. you know maybe the first wife is wanting to take everything Mm -hmm. or the brother-in-law into one of the wives so that he can assume the position of the patriarch and take over his brother's uh, assets and Mm -hmm. estate it does happen and I think also, you know, that's where the interest in succession, you know, because I've seen it happen mm. uh, in outside my family. You know, you find that uh, a person had now this polygamous family unit, and unfortunately, the person passes away. The wives are left behind, mm. and enter the aunts and the uncles, and now suddenly they're in control of everything. You know, and the wives are less dest- left destitute. The children don't have anything. You know, then comes the customary wife, 
and it's like no but I've been here for so long why am I only living with just the bag that has my clothes you know oh. where is myself and my husband we built everything what about my children what about you know um so I that really really made me wonder you mm. know which over and above the culture that we live mm. you know is there some kind of system that could help us to fairly you know, distribute, preserve and transfer the wealth that our parents worked so hard mm. to create over these years? You know, sometimes I, I'd listen to my father. He talks a lot about uh, his younger years. So my father was, uh, when he was 13 years old, he was, right, I think that was grade seven, uh, he was recruited into the army and uh, they went to Zambia for training and they came back and then they fought uh, in the war for the liberation of Zimbabwe leading up to 1980. Mm. And, uh, you know, so he, he tells the story and how when he came back from the war and they got their war veterans payout, that's what he used to start his businesses and all of that. You know, and I think to myself, to think potentially one day, when my father passes away, someone is going to come and try bully my mother and my stepmother and my siblings and myself out of everything that they have worked for. Mm. You know, and I, because I had seen it in other families, I had seen it, you know, uh, within my broader family. I thought to myself, "How mm. mm. You know, I know I'm a soft-spoken individual, but how mm. it, it absolutely cannot be so how chuffed I was when I got to fourth year and succession was an elective it mm. was the first thing I ticked on my elective module you mm. know and I enjoyed every minute of it because it answered so many questions for me because for so many people the story ends on the on the evening uh, after the funeral you know, everyone will come and say, oh, hey, hey, our condolences. Mm. And then after that, they're gone. And then everything descends into chaos, mm -hmm. you know. And even before then, um, after you've worked and you've accumulated or acquired all of these assets, whether or not they range into the multi-millions or just a few thousands, or it's your hard work, you know. Do you know how to meaningfully protect everything that you have worked to build? Do mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I find that most people don't know, you know, because for example, um, in conversations with my father, right? It will always be that, no, maybe we're sitting and having dinner or we're just sitting together as a family unit and having a conversation. And then he will say, we are Zibantwana Bami, you know? And we know, ah, the philosophy is coming, you know? And then he will, you know, he will then say, when I'm not, when I'm no longer here, these are my wishes, you know, he will verbally articulate them. But we have seen from experience that even if you have taken the time to verbally articulate all of your sincere wishes mm. and people say, yes, yes, we understand. And we will ensure to do that. As soon as you are six feet under, yeah. everyone suddenly has amnesia mm. and very few people remember, you mm. know, and mm. unfortunately this is so prevalent in in African communities. Mm. So, you know, I thought to myself, there ought to be, it absolutely cannot be that 
the best type of succession planning or estate planning that we have is merely verbal. And we've seen from history, you know, that a lot gets lost in translation, mm. you know, and, and things are easily hidden and twisted and misquoted because our traditions are orally translated. You know, they go from generation to generation. But what if our entrusted uh, orator, you know, has uh, maybe a forgetful mind or over time we get Alzheimer's and you know there's mm. just so much to share that we simply cannot only rely on what is verbally expressed be mm. it in terms of rating our history and who we are as a people and all of these wonderful things or how we want our legacies to be carried out when we are no longer here. We need to give it something more permanent, something more structured. So when I got to doing succession as an elective and I sat there and I listened, you know, and it was my first time hearing about the law of interstate succession and the Wills Act and this and that. And mm. ah, I was so delighted, you know. And the first thing I said to my dad was, Baba, please, you need a win. Yeah. Eh? It's either you're going to curate or you're going to orate Uzongjela, you'll tell me verbally and I will put it down for you, you know, and then you can gather all of us as your children and our moms and you sit us down and you sign the will in our presence so that when you are no longer here one day, we don't find ourselves here. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, even more recently, you know, uh, my brother who recently passed away, shortly before he passed away, I said to him, you are doing so well. You know, your life is finally coming together and I can see that great things are yet to come. Yeah. So how's about, you know, we sit down, you know, for you because your family, you, I will do this for you free of charge. You don't even have to pay me. Let's sit down and tell me what your desires are for your legacy. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give specific commands, but let's do this estate planning exercise. If you are reluctant or you feel that you don't want to overly expose yourself to me, please go to your bank or to an attorney that you know, or if I do share a practitioner, if you need references, I'll tell you. But it, it's it's unfortunate that we never got to doing that. And you know, presently, we are living in the consequence of there being no estate planning mm. in his life. Mm. And this is not just for me. This is for everyone, whether you are a professional, whether you are a layman, estate planning is I cannot stress the importance of it for mm. everyone, you know, and most people, they dismiss the importance of this exercise by saying, oh, no, but, you know, Mina, I don't have anything. And yes. I say to them, yes, you may not have anything at the moment, but every day you wake up and you work towards accomplishing something, mm. you know, and estate planning is not only for what you already have. Estate planning encompasses what it is that you are working to have. Mm. So what you, this estate planning exercise that you do today will ensure that whatever happens, if you leave home this morning and God forbid you get involved in an accident or you have a heart attack and you pass away or something like that unexpectedly, you did something either last week, two months ago, a couple of years ago, or just yesterday that will now secure your legacy and determine its trajectory going forward for your beneficiaries, you know, no matter how small it is. Mm -hmm. Even if, say, for example, when you pass away, you haven't accomplished everything that you want to and you don't have enough 
you know, and you only have maybe just a few hundred rands worth of assets. That's why we have Section 18.3 of the Administration of Estates Act. You know, if it doesn't meet a certain threshold, then there's also a way in which we're supposed to deal with it. The law provides for that. The law does not only cater to the wealthy and accomplished. The law is for everyone and more so the layman because we are finding more and more you know, and history keeps repeating itself. We continually perish for lack of knowledge, yeah. you know, but now, now that we are in the advent of technology and the internet of things, I find that we are perishing because of, you know, conscious ignorance. You mm. choose to be ignorant. Why? Mm. You know, so yes, you are so right, sis. You are so right. When you say, you know, uh, there's usually a lot of fighting in, in these polygamous situations and especially when someone passes away. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think, I think I'll never get tired of, of, of saying that it is very important that when you have access to information, you share it mostly and especially with your older relatives in the family. I always say it's fine that our parents or our grandparents, older aunts and uncles don't have access to Facebook. They might not come across sister-in-law's post speaking about wills, but you need to be the one who, you know, goes back home during the holidays or whenever, whenever you get an opportunity to say, you know, this is what I read about wills. And um, this person was going on and on about the fighting that's going on in families because they don't have this document that is called a will. So when I was on campus, I Googled, you know, the importance of having a will and all of that. And I found that because of our own family set up, it would be important for you as my parents or for you as my aunt who raised me to then have this document in place, you know? Mm. So it is our responsibility to ensure that when we empower ourselves, we are equally invested in empowering the people around us. It's not just for you to be like, oh, I was listening to Thibelo's podcast today and um, Alma spoke about this. Oh, that is so enlightening. You must do something with that enlightenment. Go and then burn another person's candle. You know, go go and go and switch on another person's candle. Especially even if you, especially if you are raised in a little bit of a complex situation like the one that I just used now. Your, uh, your 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 parents pass on early in life. You are raised by your aunt who has seen you as her child. She now uh, passes on and her two biological children are coming to fight you. Meanwhile, uh, those children had long moved out of home when uh, your aunt adopted you. And now because uh, your aunt doesn't have a will, her legal beneficiaries under interstate are her two children. Where does that leave mm. you as Alma, who was raised by your aunt since you were two years old? You are left with nothing. Absolutely. It's important. Absolutely. It's absolutely important for us to be invested in, 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 in these topics. And we need to demystify, especially with the older generation, that estate planning means that you're going to die. Whether you whether you draft a will or not, you are going to die. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that's the most important. One hundred percent. Whether you draft a will or not, you're going to die. So rather die 
knowing that you have at least empowered your family at the very mm. least. Empower your loved ones. It's an empowering tool to have a will. It's not just a document, you know, just so that people don't fight. No, more than anything, it's mm. it's an empowering document for the people that you leave behind. Absolutely. So well put. I couldn't have said it better. Sure. Um, and now where were we now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think, um, you know, it's the first time we have a fiduciary consultant on the show. So let's get into that. How, how, how did you then get into this being your, um, preferred area of practice, your niche? What is a fiduciary consultant? What do you do on a daily basis? You know, just take us through that journey. Somebody who's listening um, is not sure how or where they want to go next in their career or whatever, and they don't even know that this thing called a fiduciary consultant exists. So can you just enlighten us more about what that role entails? Sure. So there's an industry, it's called fiduciary services. Um, so what this entails is uh, there's financial planning, there's estate planning, uh, these investment houses, um, and then there are the administrators, of course, and there's insurance as well. And we work together, you know, from the time you decide that, okay, uh, I want to go on this journey of being more conscious about my finances and working towards my financial goals and building my wealth. So you probably, the first time around, you encounter fight to shadow services through insurance. You take out an insurance policy, maybe over your life or mm. your house, or you get a home loan, for example, and you decide, okay, or maybe it's a requirement, you know, that, you know, you need to have a, a life assurance policy over your life. Mm. Then maybe you encounter a financial planner, you know, then you start with your financial goals. You save a bit, you save a bit. Then uh, maybe... As time goes on, you decide, all right, um, also like to maybe have an investment portfolio, you know, I've, I've saved up some money, let's do something. Then the investment happens and then you get to a point where you're like, actually, you know, uh, now we have my financial goals and everything, but now how do we, we set this up? So I'm part of a big network of professionals who whose focus is about, number one, getting you to be more literate in terms of your financials, being more conscious about your goals and what it is that you want, not only in terms of your career and all of that, but also in terms of the legacy, you know, mm. what do you want to happen in Alma? So now you've gotten to this point where you say, okay, uh, let's talk about legacies now, right? Then enter Alma. So Alma will come in and we sit down, we do an estate plan. I do an estate planning exercise with you. That's where I fit in the scope. But I am one of many professionals. On my day-to-day, -day, uh, for example, if I'm doing an estate planning exercise for a client, maybe a, a client will come into the office and say, all right, um, I've, uh, I've never done an estate planning exercise before, or it's been a long time since I've done an estate planning exercise, you know, and I just want to get a full view of what my, my estate looks like, mm. you know, and if something were to happen to me today, what, 
what would be the repercussions, you know, mm. uh, not only in terms of what will my beneficiaries or my heirs get, but in terms of the tax liability, um, you know, what, what provisions need to be made to ensure that, number one, the standard of living of those who are dependent on me is maintained. Number two, um, the running costs, you know, from inception to finalization of the winding up of my estate. And even after that, you know, mm -hmm. do you provide services to my heirs or my beneficiaries to help them ensure that they don't squander whatever it is that I leave behind for them? So that's the beginning of the exercise. We're going to sit and I consult with you. I learn more. We learn more a bit about you. Who are you? What are you about? What kind of person are you? What is important to you? You know, because that always determines ultimately what the direction that the estate planning exercise is going to take because no two people are the same, right? And when we do these exercises with you, we don't necessarily put the words in your mouth. You know, we just ask you the questions, those guiding questions, those guiding open-ended questions so that you can ask yourself the rhetorical questions and then you go, no, but actually, you know, what about one, two, three? What about one, two, three, you know? And then we just chime in and say, yeah, uh, you know, legally, this is the position, one, two, three, one, two, three. So if you were to take this route, for example, you know, the likely outcome is this, that, and the other, you know, so, but there might be, this is, you need to be on the lookout for one, two, three, one, two, three, you know, mm -hmm. so we just guide you through put words in your mouth. We don't uh, prompt you as to what to do. It's all you. What mm -hmm. we are there for is to ensure that whatever it is that you want to do, one, you are conscious of the legal consequences of it, two, the potential cost implications for your estate and uh, for the decision that you want to take, right? And ultimately how it will translate in practice because no one knows your life better than you. Sure, thank so you. After <laughs> so after then we consult with you usually you know it will start maybe with reviewing an, ex an existing will having to amend a few clauses by way of a codicil or just completely revamping the will and doing a new one mm. right so then we do all of these things and then we look at all right do you have only uh, assets within the republic or do you have assets in other jurisdictions so if you have assets outside of the republic then all right maybe we need to look at a, an offshore will for you you know but what are the you know, what is the succession regime for lack of a better expression in that jurisdiction you know, because different countries exercise different things. So some countries have mandatory succession, for example, you know, countries like Spain, Italy, uh, where you can't entirely dictate what must happen to your estate. The law will tell you that a certain portion of your estate must go maybe to your parents and your children or your surviving spouse, then the rest you can do with whatever you want, you know. Um, so we look at things like that, then we're going to put together these wills for you because that's the foundation of everything. Once we've done this well for you and you are happy with it, then you're going to say, okay, I'm, I'm happy with my will. I like what I see, right? At that time, as we're putting together your will, of course, we need to have your statement of assets and liabilities so that we know, you know, what is the composition of your estate? 
What have you acquired? What is it looking like? What are the values? So that we can tell you, okay, uh, is your estate potentially dutiable? Will there be potential uh, capital gains to be paid, you know, capital gains tax to be paid and all of that? So uh, we'll then liaise you know, with your financial planner or the investment houses that are holding your investments. And we do this exercise together. The tax mm -hmm. consultants, if it's an involved or complex, complex estate planning exercise, the tax consultants will do the, the draft tax calculations to show us it's okay. Potentially, the tax liability is going to be this much. Then we will take all of that and we put it together for you in a mock liquidation and distribution account. Right, so that will tell you it's okay. This is how your will ultimately is going to translate in practice. And looking at the value uh, of your estate and the composition of your estate, you know, we suggest or we propose that you might need to have at least this much in funds available to mm. ensure that number one, your immovable property remains insured if you have one, you know, the monthly running costs of that immovable property. And we try to take into account, you know, inflation, for example. So we always make uh, a generous provision, you know, and we also try take into account uh, factors such as, you know, the timeframes or the turnaround times of third party institutions, because when you ultimately administer a deceased estate, you're not just a, doing the work at your pace. Your pace is also determined by third-party institutions like the Master of the High Court and SARS and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we always try to say, okay, uh, if say maybe there was to be a delay, you know, and maybe the estate goes over 24 months and all of that, we don't want to now start eating into your the inheritance of your heirs, you know. Mm -hmm. So let's try to make sufficient provision for that well in advance. Mm -hmm. So then we create for you this uh, mock liquidation and distribution account. Then we also look at, all right, your estate is dutiable, sir or ma'am. You know, how can we go about reducing uh, estate duty liability, mm. right? Because now then the, uh, the tax planning comes into place to, to comes into play to a certain extent. But then you say, all right, uh, these are the rebates that are are available in terms of the estate duty act or whichever other act you know we look at all of the rebates and say okay um you know the law allows uh, deductions or a reduction in your tax liability if you do one two three one two three mm. and, um are you keen maybe on potentially benefiting from any of these yeah. so you look into all of that and some people uh, for example, they, they make a conscious decision to say, okay, uh, I am going to transfer everything I own to my spouse before I pass away so that I don't have anything, you know, um, and that works in certain instances. Uh, some people, for example, if you pass away and you are married, you know, um, there's a, a, a spousal rollover in terms of section 4Q, so that's there for you to take advantage of. You know, so it's just it's all dependent on a person's circumstances and ultimately what it is that they want to do, as well as the type of assets that they have, and of course the size of the estate. You know, so mm -hmm. for a simple, uh, fairly straightforward estate, you know, maybe you've got a policy, a bank account, a few assets here and there the estate planning exercise will not be the same as if someone has maybe a complex 
um, mm-hmm. asset composition in their estate. And your estate planning exercise might uh, take less time. You know, it would be it would be a bit more straightforward. And instead, you'll find that the the conversation could then be around. Okay, you have these assets, but tell me, do you have a credit life? to cover these insurance, you know, to cover these assets should you pass away? Do you have maybe a, a life policy that will introduce liquidity into your estate and also ensure that after your heirs inherit this immovable asset and, and all of this that you intend to keep, for example, as a family home, you know, or you want to maintain ownership uh, just amongst your children? Mm. You know, are you also, have you also thought about making provision for liquidity? You know, uh, are you in a position uh, to invest large sums of money or to continually invest towards your investment portfolio? Or if you're not in a position to do so, did you know that you can do one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, that will introduce liquidity into your estate when you pass away? Oh, okay, Alma, that's wonderful. You see, so it's all about... And usually I find that, you know, with uh, fiduciary consultants, right, Mm. it becomes a lifelong journey with your clients because as the circumstances change, you know, oh, Alma, I've started a business. Mm. Oh, really? That's wonderful. Okay. Have you thought about one, two, three, one, two, three? You know, uh, don't you want uh, maybe this business rather to be placed in a trust? Or if you want this house to be a family home, Mm. it can't be a family home if ownership is diluted. You know, because if your children pass away, the ownership will continually be diluted and ultimately they might have to sell this house, right? How's about maybe in your will, you make provision for the property to be placed in trust, but a trust has running costs. A trust has potential tax liability. So how's about maybe we do one, two, three, one, two, three to ensure that this home, uh, when you ultimately do place it in a trust, remains a family home and you're able to see through your legacy and, and your vision. Yep. So it's just a, it's a back and forth exercise, listening to your wishes, what it is that you want for yourself in your life. And now trying to see how best we can help you bring that vision to life. Mm-hmm. Number one, making sure that you are legally compliant, you are prepared because, you know, everything, it, it is all well and lovely until you are out of money. So mm-hmm. we also want to make sure that you don't find yourself uh, being cut short because you were not financially adequately prepared. Mm-hmm. So that plays into it. And ultimately, then you have your estate planning uh, exercise has now been concluded and you know for a fact that, all right, should anything happen to me today, tomorrow or next year, you know, I've done my estate planning exercise and I have an idea more or less what is going to happen. Yeah, and, and uh, it, 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 it actually goes back to what I said about this exercise being, a, you know, an empowering tool for those, especially those who who will be left behind and, and not having to deal with your mess. Um, yeah. But just on, on that topic, um, you know, I had indicated that it was also just to let somebody out, you know, a listener out there just learn more about the fiduciary consultant role. Is this something that someone would be able to pursue with just an LLB degree? Um, or are there other certificates that you have to do in between, um, you know, being, being say, a law graduate and ultimately a fiduciary consultant? 
Um, the LLB is a basic requirement. You know, for example, when I first got into the space, I was fresh out of university. Uh, I I was working in the law library and they've got this notice board and I saw that it says ah, this financial institution has a graduate program and it's focused on uh, on succession, you know, and they're looking for graduates. And I thought to myself, I'm not missing out on this. So I applied, but I had no idea what it entailed. And uh, I remember part of the recruitment process, you know, you had to create a presentation about intervivos trust. It was the first time in my life I had heard about an intervivos trust. You know, I had loosely heard about trust fund babies, but I, beyond that, I, I, I didn't know anything. So, so then began my journey of learning, you know, and that was the first time was exposed to intervivos trust and oh testamentary trust okay and this and that and you know so the LLB is just the the minimum requirement mm -hmm. um, and there is a governing body uh, FISA I think it's the Fiduciary Institute of Southern Africa uh, it is alive it is thriving and they do such wonderful things uh, for to develop young professionals in the space. It's lovely. They have workshops and seminars, and sometimes they have uh, bursaries. And there is a, a, a qualification that was recently introduced. So you can, after some years in the industry, and you've gained experience and practical exposure, you can then apply for an advanced diploma in trust administration uh, the leading provider of this is the university of the free state and once you now have completed that diploma it's a year-long distance learning uh, diploma mm -hmm. once you pass and you're done then you're going to get your accreditation as a fiduciary practitioner of south africa fpsa so that means you are signed and certified uh, to assist in fiduciary matters and you have an understanding of the requirements so it will cover you know your estate planning uh, that's the wills the ethics around it the law uh, the case law you know all of that the trusts you know the formation the administration the termination and then the deceased estates because ultimately it all comes together and mm -hmm. i think there's a portion also the investments so i'm also uh, looking to do that course so i'm pretty chuffed about it and i can't wait to have that wonderful, wonderful abbreviation next to my name uh, for something I'm so passionate about. There are also other courses that you can do. Yeah, for example, with LEAD, uh, you can do, the, I remember when I was just early in administering deceased estates, my former employer took us on a week-long course with LEAD, and it was just an overview of uh, deceased estates administration practice. Yeah, the mm -hmm. we are the practice of administering deceased estates. It was lovely. You know, we got there with all these legal professionals and other administrators, and we were learning for a week, and after that, you got your certificate. There's also another course with LEAD. Uh, it's also the... Uh, what the practice of administering deceased estates. It's a year long course. And it it also delves into similar subjects as with as the advanced diploma that you do with UFS. And um, so all of those things that you do, you know, and I, I sometimes take the opportunity when I'm at the master's office, for example, where I'm speaking to other professionals in the space, just to ask them, it's okay. So as an aspiring, you know, fiduciary expert, what do you recommend I should study? What do I do? And they always say the greatest study 
is practical experience. Mm. You know? And mm. the the day to day of it. Uh, oh yes, and also SARS. Sometimes, uh, sometime last year, they also had a course that they were doing. I think it was a day long a, a seminar for uh, deceased estate practitioners, and you know the whole day they were teaching about how to get your estate tax ready and the information that we need to provide because tax plays such a huge role in, in the work that we do ultimately. So the understanding of that is also very great. I'm hoping they're going to keep on doing these seminars and you know delve also into trust and all of that. Um, but speaking to people who have been in the industry for longer, you know, they say nothing beats practical experience. Mm -hmm. you know, and they say it's important for us, the youngins who are coming into the industry to understand that you have to start from the seemingly mundane because over and above understanding, you know, the steps like, okay, step one, do this, step two, do that. You have to understand the law itself. You, know, you have to have a thorough understanding inside and out of what it is that you're doing because as you advance, you're going to encounter complex situations you know mm -hmm. and you will sometimes you find that you know, for example maybe you you submitted or lodged something with the master and uh, the outlooks are different you know and you're like no but assistant master I don't agree with you. you now you have to argue it out now you have to bring out the theory the acts the regulations and the case law and set you and state your case yeah so yeah for the most part you know, study your LLB, uh, take a succession as an elective. I know that for universities such as UP, the administration of estates is also uh, that they get. Please mm. take that. I wish that Vets University had that elective because I realized, you know, when I, I, I first got into the graduate program, I had the theory, but the practice of it I had no idea how succession translates into the administration of deceased estates or wills drafting or trusts, you know? And I was mind blown. I would sit in these forums or I would sit and we're consulting with clients and I'm like, yo, okay. You know, and that time I'm the one with the LLB here and I'm, and I'm not really sure what, what must happen now. But because I was in, in such a, and a supportive environment that was conducive for learning, I found that, and I was curious. So curiosity is also important, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and I think it's important also for everyone out there to know, you know everything sounds amazing when, when it's being spoken of on paper, when you read about it, but you need to give yourself some kind of practical exposure so that you can see the day-to-day -day of it and be sure that it is what you want. For the most part, my work is very admin based, you know, in between maybe going to the master's office or consulting with clients and all of that. I am mostly a desk bound person. Mm. I, I would do research or I'm reading or I'm drafting or, you know, it, it, trying to solve problems. So it's a, it's a very admin based role. Mm. So before you even jump on it, jump on it, uh, just because you heard Alma talk about it, you know, uh, maybe visit the master's office or find a fiduciary practitioner mm. in, and say, okay, during break or 
end of semester. Please, can I come and just maybe spend a week or two with you and just see what your week looks like, you know? Um, so you can get the practical feel of it because it's mostly an admin-based job. And I find that, you know, uh, no matter how lucrative an industry sounds, that element of passion, if, if really, really you, know, you have a keen interest in genuinely, it appeals to your strengths. You know, uh, I was listening to one of the podcasts that you did with the lady, uh, my goodness, and she's a director at Worksman's and she, she emphasized something so beautifully. And she said, you know, your interests and your natural strengths mm. you know, play, play into that because ultimately whatever career you choose to pursue you know if it incorporates your interests and your talents you're definitely going to succeed at it yeah. and you're definitely yeah. going to enjoy it so yeah. for me you know fiduciary services is my chosen area of specialty why because i find that i am a i'm an empath you mm. know i i am very compassionate mm. so those um those sectors in the law where everything is just so black or white, binary, zero and one, you know, I don't enjoy them as much because they don't afford me the opportunity to, to exercise my compassion as much. But if I'm sitting with you and we are talking about something so close to your heart, you know, such as your legacy and what you want it to be, you know, there's always that human touch, mm. you know, and your ability to connect with people will also play a huge role because trust is everything. You know, your, your client must, wants to feel like they can trust you to do the job and do it well. They can trust you enough to be open and honest and say, Ish, but you know what? I know maybe this is not legally related, but I worry about uncle so-and-so sometimes. Hey, he can be problematic, you know? Then we can say, okay, no, well, okay. So maybe let's, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, factoring that at the back of our minds as we're helping you with all of this. Because at the end of the day, you know, over and above being professionals, we are people. We are human beings, and as human beings, we thrive on connection, you know, right. and we are linked to extensions of ourselves by way of relatives and all of that. So fiduciary services for me was definitely the space because over and above exercising all the things I learned in law school and the technical stuff, I also get to connect with clients on a human level, you see. So definitely play into your strengths and your interests and your passions. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Almar. And just in general, thank you so much for, you know, just sharing your whole life journey with us in such a colorful, um, educating and insightful, insightful manner. We absolutely appreciate um, having heard from you and having learned from you. And I really do hope that your story will more than anything inspire somebody out there to be the best version of themselves and to remember to you know just feed into their interests unfortunately we have come to the end of the show but before i let you go i have a question for you from the previous guest um they don't know who will be featured next but at the end of their own um uh, interview, I asked them a question offline, which is then directed to the next guest. So the previous okay. question for you is, 
what do you hope your story will achieve for the next person? Oh man, oh man. Uh sheesh, what a beautiful question. Um okay, just a second. Let me Yes, sure. Let, let me think it out. Um okay. A few things. Uh number one, you know wherever you start at that's not where you're going to end mm. you know in everything in all the different experiences you're going to have in life there's a common denominator and that's you and your attitude mm. so it doesn't matter you know whether you come from a remote area or you come from the hustle and bustle of the township in the city wherever it is that you start your attitude is key. Be curious, mm. you know, and, and I hope whoever will listen to this one day, remember to be courageous. Mm. Uh, know what you want. And it's so wonderful because when you start out, everything is so overwhelming and it's difficult to articulate and you don't know how you're going to figure it out. But one thing I've learned uh, throughout my life is once you are resolute and you decide that, look, this is me, this is it, this is what I want, you know, and I'm not sure how I'm going to do all of this, but we'll figure it out. Mm. God always, you know, you can ask anyone and everyone, no one can describe what God looks like. You know, but each of us, we have had an experience that has made us stop and ponder and say, oh, yeah, surely that must be God or mm. the universe. Mm. My stars are aligned. Mm. You know, that is the hand of God. So mm. once you are resolute, you know, everything about you becomes resolute. Your thinking, your outlooks, your, your aura that you radiate when you meet people. And so that 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 sense of resolution will always draw closer to you the people who are going to be the keys you know to helping you unlock the next level or helping you get closer to this that and the other so i hope people learn from me be courageous mm. you know, be courageous and, and be resolute in what it is that you want and also where you start is not where you're going to end Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Almar. Um, yeah, I, I think um, you've really covered all the bases um, and you haven't held back from, from, from sharing so much with us. Like I knew that more than anything, because of your passion uh, of, 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 you know, deceased estate, estate planning, succession, I knew more than anything that in this specific episode is going to be a lot of teaching. So <laughs> thank you. Wow. To, thank you for living up to the expectation that I had created. I didn't want to say it at the beginning, but I, <laughs> I've, 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 I've interacted with you enough times now to know that you are going to definitely take every opportunity you get to to teach us which is what i really love about you so thank you for that thank you for having me thank you for the opportunity and thank you for creating such a wonderful platform 
You know, and one day I shall tell the story of how I first met you. <laughs> you know, and it was all uh, because of a response on a tweet. And today here I am. Oh, thank you. I don't take that for granted. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Alma. We, I so, yeah, we, I definitely do have to let you go now, just in the interest of time. But you and I will continue talking on WhatsApp as we have been. Um, thank you so much, Alma. I do have to let you go now. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.